Hey guys, this is my leak. This is the My Taught You podcast. Today is Sunday, um, April April 9th, um, 2017. Uh, I am here obviously having my coffee. It's Sunday morning, sitting in my breakfast room, talk, getting ready to talk to you. Um, this podcast is going to cover um, negotiating and I have a finance sort of new money question. Um, I... I'm going to do these podcasts similar, I mean, in the style that I started off doing them. So five years ago, when I started podcasting, I would get a thought, I would run to my computer, snatch off uh, computer, my printer, I'm sorry, and I would snatch off a piece of paper. And I would just write down the general thought what I knew I wanted to talk about. And then I would do my infamous five points. And I think it is just natural to Back then, I didn't know any podcasts, and so there were no podcasts to listen to. There was nothing to compare my style to. Uh, There was nothing to know that if what I was doing was effective, it was just a way for me to quickly get off um, a sufficient amount of thoughts. And I think over time, uh, like, you know, when you start listening to other podcasts, it's very easy to become influenced. So... This is me going, you know, making sure that I am sticking with my original style, regardless of what, who's doing what, right? So um, I'm going to talk about negotiating. I'm going to talk about finances. uh, But before I get into that, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks. Um, You know that I always tell you that you have to finish one thing at a time to build momentum. So often you guys will write me, how do I do this? How do I do this? And then how do I do that? And it's like, how do you finish the first step um, that will take you to the second step? So our sponsor, FreshBooks, wants you to build momentum for your business this year. How? By freeing up your time so that you can focus on taking your steps. Um, FreshBooks has created really easy to use cloud accounting software for those of us who are self-employed, those of us who are freelancers, um, who'd rather spend their time working on their business and their projects um, versus dealing with mountains of paperwork and basically being sort of like accounting, right? So FreshBooks has been around for a while, but recently they started... uh, using everything that they've learned uh, in the past 13 years about how freelancers work and they rebuilt their platform from the ground up and they are hooking up my listeners with a free 30-day unrestricted trial just go to freshbooks.com backslash my taught you and enter my taught you in the how did you hear about a section um, to try it I used freshbooks uh, when I first started out I love it so um that is something that I can definitely tell you. It was super easy, um, helps you stay on top of your finances, which is super important because that's what we're going to talk about today. So um, first thing I want to talk about is negotiating. Uh, I think you guys know that I have been an entrepreneur for the past, I would say seven years, and I don't have a ton of of experience negotiating um, in the job setting, but I do feel like um, negotiating period uh, starts with 
your emotions and how you feel about money. And over the years, I have stayed away from the topic because I feel like money is so emotional, um, similar to love. Uh, But I said, you know what, I'll take a stab at it. And I will tell you how I negotiate and I will give you my thoughts on money. And I think I've shared that a bunch of times that um, when it comes to me giving advice, all I can do and all anybody can do is give you advice from their perspective, which is based on their experiences. So everything that I say will not apply. Um, And that goes for anybody that you may listen to. It's like I always say, take what you need, leave the rest on the table or on the floor. Um, But as far as negotiating goes, I think before you even think about how you plan on negotiating or or what you want to negotiate, you have to think about your internal feelings about money, right? So most of our feelings about money stems from the way that we were raised. Um, How did your parents handle money? How was money handled in your household? Was it a secretive thing where you guys always broke? Um, What in what ways were you sort of shaped um, in the home when it comes to money? Um, There is a lot of fear uh, based around money. Oh, I wouldn't spend that. I wouldn't do that. There is a lot of shame uh, when it comes to money, uh, what, who we feel like we are, what we can do, what we can afford, what we want people to think about us. Um, And then there's a lot of anger, right, around money. Um, just who has what, who deserves what. And so those are the things that you have to think about is how strongly money is connected to our emotions, right? So money validates us. It does. Uh, Money makes us feel like we are someone or it makes us feel like we are not someone, So before you start a single negotiation, I think that it would behoove you to get to a place where you have a healthy relationship with money because it doesn't matter how much money you make um, if you are uber emotional about it. So if you are bad at handling a little money, you will be bad at handling a lot of money. Um, And I have this, this quote, from Susie Orman, whom I adore uh, when it comes to giving just basic financial tips. She has written several books, but she said, um, people really do not have a clue at all. They think the reason they are miserable, that they are an emotional wreck is because they have absolutely no money. They honestly think that if they had more money, they would have fewer problems. The problem is that it's not true. The reason they don't have more money is because of how they feel about their life and who they are. Who you are determines what you have and get to keep. You define your money. You define the things around you. But money and the things around you can never truthfully define who you are. So... Um, I'll tell you a story. The one time I negotiated, uh, when I had a job and this is a kind of a not good way, but listen, uh, all I have are my experiences. So I was working in a job and at the time I was a few months away from getting my raise and promotion that would have put me at $40,000. Um, 
And I got offered a job and I think the pay was somewhere like they were offering me, let's just say 60, 60 to leave, which would have been a really significant raise, right? $20,000 increase. Um, but, and I hadn't read any books and this is pre, you know, internet Googling and all that good stuff, being able to find really good articles. And so my mindset was this, if someone is offering, if someone is coming to me at the place that they know that I am employed, offering me work, they must think I'm really good, right? Because, um, they know that I have a job, um, but you know, okay. So I countered, um, 20 more thousand. <laughs> I countered. So I was making, I was close to making 40. Um, they were offering, I think like 60, I think I countered to 80 and I ended up getting like 70 something. Right. So that's really all that happened. And that was really just a sort of like, why not? It's easier to be like, why not when you have a job, right? It was like, I think it was less about me feeling like, oh, I'm going to have all this money and more just this thought of, um, you know, when you start thinking about, and we are going to talk about worth and value, but you clearly see my value. um, What am I worth to you kind of thing, you know, and less about, I feel like I deserve and all of this. It's because worth and value in my thought process come down to, and I have some notes on it, the worth and value comes down to um, the organization's or the person's salary range or budget for the position, right? So I think a lot of times when people are negotiating and it's like, I feel like I'm worth 80,000 or I feel like I'm worth 100,000, you, that could very well be true. But that is, that depends on what the organization's budget is for the position. So if they don't have $100,000 budgeted for the position, meaning that's the value of the position within their organization, right? So if I could, let me try to explain that. So let's just say um, that you do PR and the company has budgeted $70,000 annually for their PR but you feel like you're worth 100,000 and then you take it personal that they don't want to give you that and you get upset and you're angry because you feel like you've got your MBA or whatever, your master's communication and you feel like, you know, you have all this experience and I'm a $100,000 PR person, but that's not what the company has budgeted and PR may not be, what truly drives their business. Maybe they need more engineers or maybe they need more, like they need somebody who's stronger with money. And so that's what you have to understand. I feel like the big, big picture that people miss when they're negotiating is understanding um, the organization's needs. How do they value what you bring to the table? And so maybe a better thing to do is find companies that have a greater need for your service, right? So I think, you know, we talk about 
worth and value where, you know, well, you know, I'm worth this or I'm worth that. Um, we tend to use the terms inter- interchangeably, but these words are not synonymous when you are negotiating in the career space. You know, what is the value of what you're doing to this company and how much is it worth to them? Um, I think, what is it? I, I made some notes and I hate when I make my notes well in advance because I'm like, what was I talking about? Um, it says you view your worth as the amount of money you expect to receive for your level of training or experience. Um, but that is not the case because like I said, it's more based on the person who's handing out the dough, what they need. So another thing I think you should think about is, um, the market value, right? I think that and I have right here, just because you think you're a $50,000 writer or photographer or hairstylist doesn't mean that you'll get that if that's not the value that the market has on it. So we all know that if you are a hair and makeup person in, let's just say, New York, um, it's different than being a hair and makeup person in, let's just say, Austin, Texas, because of the demand for it. So in New York or L.A., you have a lot of jobs. Um, there's a greater demand for uh, professional maybe hair and makeup because there's a lot of filming. There is a lot of magazines um, and that's where there's a higher demand. So the price can be driven up. Um, But if you are in a place that is maybe smaller and there is a lower demand for this sort of service, um, the the market rate is going to be different. So you want to make sure that you have some sort of understanding. What is the going rate in this area? And also, I think sometimes as a freelancer, understanding um, why, let's just say, a true agency can charge maybe a certain rate versus a freelancer. So I was a freelance PR person operating as an agency, if you will. But true agencies have so many resources, right? They have so many people working on so many projects so that, yes, they may have hired you as their sort of food PR person, but let's just say they have... Um, a restaurant idea and within your agency there are restaurant people you can provide them with resources um, which allows you to take your price up because it's like yes I know you hired me for this but behind me I have tons of resources I think agency rates also are up because they are able to pay for a ton of different sort of services and Back in the day, it used to be clipping services, but they're paying for tons of resources that may be a smaller freelancer. You may not have certain subscriptions um, and certain abilities to put things on the wire or things that a larger agency may be able to do, which is why they can do it. Um, Also overhead, you know, if you're freelancing, you don't have as much overhead as let's just say a brick and mortar agency that's paying, um, that's paying people's insurance and stuff like that. So you want to make sure that you understand your your position in the space and not getting caught up with, well, this agency charges this, so I'm going to charge that. But it's like you have to understand all of the things a proper sort of agency brings to the table um, and 
Also thinking about when it comes to market market value or your value, if you don't take this job or project on, how hard will it be for them to find someone like you, right? That's something else that I think about when you're thinking about what's my price. So if I'm speaking professionally, um, I would say that I have a stronger set of skills. Um, I don't know. I, I would say that I'm a strong sort of uh, marketer, a strong um, idea smith. I'm, I'm strong um, in areas of execution. Like I'm a great sort of like map mapper, if you will, just making up stuff, y'all. But it's like I can come up with an idea. I can put together a plan to execute. I can put together the proper people, like find the best people to put this together and I can execute swiftly with few flaws or errors, right? So how hard will it be for them to find someone like me? Um, I think difficult, uh, not impossible, but but difficult. Um, But when it comes to like speaking, there are plenty of people who can speak. And so I have a different value uh, as a speaker than I do as a marketer, which is why you'll notice I haven't done much speaking this year because I was like, look, um, speaking is not really what I do. Um, I'm, I'm a marketer and I do PR and I do like execution. I run a company and until my value for speaking is higher, I need to focus on the I need to focus on where my true value is and make, make sure that I'm making money. So um, I am more confident when it comes to negotiating sort of like my rate as at, at that, at like marketing and PR and idea smithing and, and execution than I am with my speaking. You know, it's like, who am I to try to charge a grip um, when I know that there are, it would be easy for you to find someone who I think could speak um, motivate or something like that. So I put together a list of tips that I think will help you, uh, mostly for freelancing, but can be applied to jobs. I think I put together some tips on basically how I come up with my rate and like how I get comfortable with charging whatever it is that I charge. So first thing I think about is what is my minimum before you go into anything, before you approach a client, before you go into your boss's office, before you take a job, what is your minimum? What is the lowest amount of money that you feel like you can take, right? Um, And you have to think about that from a realistic standpoint. So you have to think about what how much money do I really need to live my life? Right. I think let's just say for, for easy reasons, it it could just be 30,000, meaning $30,000 will cover all of my basic expenses and groceries and stuff like that. Um, what are your sort of business expenses? Do you have any, do you, you know, is it, is it your Wi-Fi? Is it, um, different subscriptions that you may have? You want to add that on. Um, and then, they say that you divide that. I think mathematically I could be wrong, but you can find this sort of equation online, but you want to take that number and divide it by like the number of work days in the year. And that's how much you need to make per day. So if you count Monday through Friday, do five days a week, figure out how many work days there are in the year and divide that by whatever your 
use that number and divide your like your total overhead and figure out how much minimum you need to make per year. And that will help you determine your day rate, how much money you need to make every two weeks and how much money you need to make per year. And I think a lot of times we are similar to how I was when I first started working just willy nilly with the numbers. We don't even really know how much we need. We just have put these numbers in our head of like, I'm a such and such thousand dollar person, or I don't do anything for less than a thousand dollars. But you need to figure out in real life, what is my minimum? What is the lowest amount of money that I can take for a project where I that I can actually live off of? And that helps you to be less emotional when you're negotiating, because I think a lot of times when people offer us something low, we internalize that as like, oh, my God, so and so is disrespecting me. Like she really thinks that I would do that for a hundred dollars. And it's not that that person's disrespecting you, they're coming at you based on their budget for the position or project. And so if you want to turn something down, and that's the thing that really kind of bugs me about negotiating, and that's what like made me want to do this podcast, is that people take it personal and it's just like, I don't have that kind of budget allocated for this part of the business, right? Like I am, it is my job to know how much money I have to spend on my business and in which areas. And if I'm overspending um, to appease you, uh, then I'm not, I'm not a good leader and I'm not uh, a good business owner. So when someone doesn't have the budget, all you have to do is just say, thank you so much for thinking of me. Um, you can let them know that that rate is not um, is unfortunately, you know, not your minimum. And then they may say, OK, well, what's your minimum? And then from there, you state your minimum and you let people know what their minimum gets you. Right. So it kind of bums me out when some people just leave money on the table because they're like, uh-uh, I'm worth more than that. I'm not doing that. It's like, OK, if let's just say my your budget is your budget is. And I'm not that good with math, y'all. As you can see, that's why I'm trying to think of a, a scenario that makes sense. If your budget is, if your minimum is, let's just say $500, like I will do, like that's as low as I can go, $500. And their budget is like $450. You can be flexible if you want and say, okay, I can do this for you, but this comes with, you know, like you, you get one pass, like I don't show up, you know, I work it from home, I email you a script, whatever your service is, like you can, if you want to go a little under budget, because you just want to make take the money, um, take the money, but maybe it gets you less, or you let them know if you have $600 or $700, that gets you this. And I just think all too often, we put ourselves in scenarios where we we know our minimums and we are so dead set on not being flexible about it that we just turn people away um, or shut people down <clears throat> when we don't really have to. And so like there is someone who has worked for me for years and she has been pretty much making consistent money for me for probably like six years. And when I first started, I was like, this is a real true story. My budget was $100 a week for 
I think it was like maybe two hours of work Monday through Friday. That's all I had. And it was all virtual. Um, but it's just like, this is what I had. And over the years, the one turned to two, two turns to three, three turns to four, four turns to five. And I think this is just someone who has been and has, it, it has gone up and up who has just stayed in there and hung in there with me and my business and sort of like watched me grow. So maybe you want to get in on the ground floor with somebody um, and work your way up with them, which brings me to um, project based pricing, which is how, you know, how you make up your pricing based on a few things. How much do I enjoy working with this person, right? So there are a lot of people and companies that I just really like working with that um, I know that I'm going to learn from and my rate may be based on that. If I know that I'm going to get a great deal of enjoyment from this, um, my rate maybe is lower. If I know that I am not going to get a great deal of enjoyment out of it, if I know that I am going to be working on something insanely difficult that also will shape the way I move my price. Like I said, can I learn something from working with this person or project that will allow me to charge even more in the future, right? So there might be a scenario based on what your field is, right? I work in the hair space, working with being able to say that I have worked with companies, uh, L'Oreal, um, Procter and Gamble, Unilever, uh, you know, Carol's Daughter, Shea Moisture, uh, all of these, depending, you know, having a resume of like legacy brands is very important and will help me make money in the future. So you have to think about that. Who are your sort of like legacy brands or clients that will allow you to be able to charge, let's just say someone else or someone up and coming in the future. That's how you have to think about it. Um, will this job provide uh, excitement or enjoyment? I really feel like we don't put enough emphasis on happiness at our jobs. Um, we feel, you know, we get so caught up on negotiating dollars, uh, but there are a few dollar amounts that will be able to that that will be able to continuously drag you into work every day. So um, money is good, but money is not enough when you're thinking about uh, just total enjoyment, you know, liking your job, getting up and having a smile on your face, enjoying the people you work with, being able to laugh, having a sense of accomplishment, all of that stuff matters. Um, and another tip that I feel like people just ugh, waste so much time, find out people's budgets early. So I'm good for that. And it's really more of like to cut down on wasting time. So if somebody approaches me and they're like, you know, I want you to do this, this, this and this. I let the, the first thing I do is sort of let them know what the costs for are what the cost is for their request within my company because there's no need of me flying out and meeting with you there's no need of you coming to my office there's no need of sitting down having coffee dinner and all that if you don't really know um what you're up against and you don't have to do it in like a um like a real shut down sort of way but you should 
find out what people's ranges are. What is your range? You know, what are you looking to spend? If they don't have one, which a lot of people don't, give them a ballpark range of your services from the low end all the way to the high end. So I offer a range of services within my company and they I have a really small, like a minimum, right? We I have a company minimum. This is the smallest thing that we can do with you and this is the largest thing that we can do with you. And here are a few things in between, right? So have that together um, and that will help, that will save you time and that will help you. Um, One mistake, another, another, one mistake that I feel like some people make when they are negotiating is they don't know the product and they don't know the brand. They're just negotiating from their, what they feel like they're worth or deserve. You need to um, know the business or the company that you are researching just because you like it is not good enough. Um, do your research. It's like, look for their competitors, show them that you cared enough about this job to look up their competition to ensure that you can provide something better. So it's like, you just, you, when you're throwing your rate out on the table or you're saying what you want, you have to have some ammunition to back up why you believe it's worth it. Right. And a lot of times I feel like people don't take the time to research the person they're pitching, the brand they're pitching, the product they're pitching. It's just like, Oh, this seems cool. I would really like to do this. These are the services that I offer. This is the, this is the amount. And that's just not good enough. Um, The next thing that I have is, uh, what's your frosting, (laughs) you know, um, what's your extra special thing that you do that makes the client, uh, or the job feel special. You have to have some frosting. Um, I feel like I have frosting when I'm doing my work. You have to be able to pile on that extra sweetness. Um, and how do I do mine? Here's some, uh, an example of some of my extra sweetness. You know, I may tell the client, I'd be more than happy to come over three days prior to the shoot um, to be sure that you are comfortable with this, this and that. You know, it's like, what am I going to do outside of the job, outside of the work to make you feel even better about spending your money with me? Um, I will fly to New York and sit down with you. I'll I'll Skype you and go over these photos with you. I will be available around the clock for you. You have to pick something and figure out your frosting because um, we are in a competitive space and there are people who can do things. It's like, how many people can do what I'm doing? How many other photographers can take great photos? But what is your frosting? Um, Send some things in advance of the meeting to show how you get down, right? So there is nothing like... When you're pitching or you are negotiating, um, you are not the first person to ask for more. You are not the first person to throw out like a a big dollar amount. But what you can make sure you are is the first person who shows why they charge this amount or why they're worth this amount. So it's like when you go to um, something that I think that people should do is to, to immerse themselves in the luxury experience, right? So if you go to a luxury resort and when you show up, as soon as you get off the, however you got there, car service, they've got two, three people there to greet you with smiles. They've got two sort of like welcome drinks. You know, everything is considered. You have to figure out how to do that within your business or even within your career. How do you do everything considered? 
how do you send your resume or, or everything that you do your presentation in advance of the meeting, right? So maybe a week before you present to a client, you send a box of items to set the mood for what it is that you're doing. Maybe you pitch, maybe you're a florist and in advance of your floral presentation, you send something considered to deck out the office. And I'm just going off the top of my head, but like this is, these are things that I would do in advance of to show them, to give them an appetizer of what they're going to be getting when they work with someone like you, right? It's like, I'm going to let you know that working with me will be the best experience of your lifetime. Sure, there are other people that take pictures, but there is nobody who works like me. So maybe you can send a couple of ideas in advance of, and you can't be afraid to give away an idea or two um, to a client to let them know what you feel like you can do. And if they hire somebody and pay somebody else to do it, oh, well, like that's just the risk that you take when you're pitching. No risk, no reward. And so I think that like you have to be a little risky um, when you're doing something, you know, nothing. People will just send me a generic proposal. OK, I want to do this for you. And it's like, OK, like that's not going to get me out of my seat. So show me what you can do or or what you're willing to do or what it's give me a taste of what it's going to be like working with you um and that's just something you have to think about that's what I call your frosting like that's my frosting um I try to provide um an incredible experience when you work with me or my team is that you know when you work with me I provide a particular brand of service but everyone else on my team also provides that wonderful brand of service of just like courteousness follow through checking in how's everything going Um, I always want to make sure that you are happy working with us Um, and even if sometimes people walk away unhappy that's just a part of the that's just the nature of the beast but we know we did our best so Those are my personal sort of tips on negotiating. Like I said, um, I was doing, I was going to do all this research and I was just like, you know what, stick to it, stick to what you do, my league. And what I do is just giving you tips off the dome, how I have managed to get here. So I have a, um, a listener question and I'm going to, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to just tell you where I am with my money now, you know, sort of like how I've managed to, uh, what my sort of like financial journey has been like. But um, let me get to this question. I can't believe I did all of that 33 minutes without a sip of coffee. I must be on fire (laughs) or not. Hold on. Okay, so here we go with the question. As always, thank you for being you and doing all that you do. You're welcome. I'm in a positive life transition right now and your podcasts have helped me get here. Nothing makes me happier than hearing about you all's positive life transitions. I read the emails when you send them. I see the tweets. I see when you write me. Thank you so much for just letting me know how you are on the positive upswing. So here she goes. I am a 27 year old with horrible finances. I started working in education as a teenager, started as a camp counselor, then began as an after school person and then substitute teacher and general swing person at the age of 18 while I attended college full time. I have transitioned to a different field where I'll be making close to six figures when I start my new job in a few weeks. In the past, I've been neglectful, but there are other things that concern me. Do I need an accountant or a financial advisor? How did you find your accountant and how did you know you could trust him? Also, 
I want to buy a home property in a few years. I currently live at home with my family. I know at this age I should have my own apartment, but quite honestly, aside from the social societal opinion that I shouldn't live with my family, I don't mind. I mention this because with this money, I can finally afford to look at an apartment within a few months. Would it be wiser to just stay home and save since I have a lot of catching up to do? I'd of course be paying rent a couple of hundred dollars while living with my family, but nothing compared to how much I would spend on a New York City apartment, at least 1700 to 2300 without a roommate. I have a lot of catching up to do. So my goal is to live off of half of my income for the next year or two, which would be easy since it's still double than what I was making before. But I know that's not enough and I want to go about this the right way. How do you go from zero to hero with your finances? So I put together a couple of bullet points. Um, First of all, congratulations on this uh, positive life upswing. Making more money will be helpful. Um, But the first thing that I would tell you to do is to um, go through your trick off period. So my uh, wealth manager uh, at Morgan Stanley jokingly always says that every, you know, we all have that trick off period when you knew money, you got to see what that feels like. So there's going to be those first few checks, you are going to ball out a little bit. And I think that to not do that um, will probably just make it harder to save in the long run. So get the get the purse, get the dinner, do the take the vacation, do the thing that you want to do early, get a little bit of trick off out of your system, give yourself maybe three months, uh, give yourself four months, you know, set a time limit on when you're going to like enjoy this newfound money. You don't have to start off being so disciplined with it, but definitely have a cutoff period of like, okay, I'm a drink off for like three months, four months, but come this one particular month, I'm going to be better. I think that you have to, um, definitely work on your emotions around money, figure out, you know, why you have these, uh, four credit cards, no savings, um, why you've been so neglectful, uh, because, I said this earlier in the podcast, having a, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you sort of have that broke mentality, right? It's like having more money. If you spend every dime that you get, um, you doesn't matter. And it's to me, having money is about how much you have left over after you've gotten all the necessities and the things that you wanted. What's that chunk of money left over that you can then save? That to me is how much money you have. It's not the paycheck. Um, it's not what you buy. It's what's what you have left. So once you hit your deadline, I would start aggressively getting rid of your debt. Um, you never know what the future may hold with this job or, you know, with this income. So I think a good idea would be to get yourself out of debt first. Um, I would get you, I would get down to one credit card and use it only to get something steady, like maybe groceries that you can pay off this bill every month. Credit cards are not to buy what you can't afford right now. They are a means to keep your credit score intact. That's how I feel about it. Somebody may tell you something different, but that's just how I roll. Um, um, but, but, but before you even get to a place of getting an apartment or anything, I think you should start to work on your credit score. Um, your credit score, things are so much easier that the apartment, all of that is going to be so much easier when you have your credit, right? So I would find out what your credit score is now. I would, I would print off your, um, report and I would start 
taking a bird's eye view, like start really looking and saying, what are some things that you need to, I call like your critical, um, critical debt, like get all that stuff cleaned up. Um, get anything, IRS, all that stuff. You want to get that stuff off of your desk, off your desk. And so, and work on getting that score up. I have the, um, I keep my credit score on my phone. Uh, I'm trying, I'm scrolling through it right now to see what's the app that I use. What is this app that I use to, to, to manage my, it's credit tracker by Experian. And so every couple of days, um, I just check on my credit score and I can tell you when I first started checking my credit, it was like in the five something. And now I have worked my way up, um, hundreds of points, uh, but that's where I was. So work on your, your credit score. Um, and then you need to pay yourself and save. So save, 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 auto save so that you don't have to think about it. You can get an auto savings account where every two weeks it'll just take out however much you want it to and make sure that the account that you're auto saving into has no debit card. Right. So my main, uh, savings account, I have an investment account and I have, a savings uh, money market account. I have no, in order for me to access my money market, I have to go into the bank and get money out of it. So I have made it difficult um, to get it. And you also want to make sure that it's like non-transferable, like, you know, where you can move the money around. Like you really want to like freeze it up, make it really hard for you to go and get into the savings. And um, the same thing with my investment account, like it's still, you know, I'd have to go in or email my uh, wealth manager and it just like, I think it takes like a couple days to liquidate the funds. So it just makes it difficult to get to this money. Um, so my uh, financial journey was difficult, I think, because I had a lot of sort of uh, whack emotions when it came to money, just in how I grew up and how my family treated money. Um, but one book that I read was Susie Orman's Young, Broken, Fabulous. I think that that really helped me when I was in my early twenties. Um, you have to make a plan. You are nothing without a plan. You must have aggressive goals for getting things done. Um, so I think that you're kind of like, I think I want to do this. Do I need a financial advisor? Like you don't need any of that. You need to make a plan, um, for what you want to do. So I have a plan right now is like, what is my financial plan right now? I am down to the last $11,000 of a loan that I need to pay back to myself. So I borrow money against my investment accounts to put down on my house, meaning instead of taking my cash out of the stock market <clears throat> where it had the possibility of having a much earning more money, I just borrowed money for a smaller interest rate. And so I did that when I bought my house almost two years ago. And so I'm down, I'm down to the last 11 grand on that, which I'm excited about. Um, I'm planning to knock out the rest of my student loan, hopefully by the end of the year. So I have a plan for that. <clears throat> Once those things are done, I'll likely start throwing a bit more money on my house or my car loan. I bought a car, I bought my first brand new car at 37 years old. And so um, I want to pay <clears throat> a few extra hundred to kind of get those down. Um, so you have to have a plan and stick with it. Um, because getting fresh with money just, just doesn't happen. Like you have to really make a plan. And so every year I sit down with my accountant, I sit down with my wealth manager and I just try to say, you know, what is, what sort of plan, what can I do to stay sharp and strong about that? <clears throat> 
And this also goes, you know, something that is you ask, how do I learn to trust my accountant? And it's just the thing of like, by trying to make sure I know as much about money as I possibly can before going to someone. And I don't view these people, you know, uh, financial advisors, um, accountants, these people are not in control of my money. They are, um, I have hired them to assist me to make better decisions when it comes to money, right? So these are people who do money day in and day out. And so it's basically like why I'd hire an interior designer to help with my home. It's, I know that I have my own style and design and aesthetic, but I go to these people because I know that they have more resources um, than I would, you know, interior designers, they, they're seeing furniture every day. They're, they're on the web and they know where you can get things. That is the same sort of view that you have to have with people who do money. You can't just be like, Oh, I don't know. I'm terrible with money. You, if you, you, if you cannot be horrible with your finances, like I can't remember what you said. What did you say? I'm horrible with finances. The first thing you have to do is get unhorrible. Do not, do not be okay with that. Like do not settle for being horrible with your finances. You know? So I, I was talking to, um, uh, some a friend that was on the podcast, somebody was on the podcast and they were in all this like IRS debt because they were relying on their accountant to pay their taxes. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. I personally mail my checks in like you have to make sure you cannot rely on somebody else to pay your bills. You have to take control of it. Um, something else that my accountant suggested I do is that, you know, whenever you do something like sort of guilty, like you take this trip, um, you go out of town and when you get ready to check out and they ask you, do you want your bill? And you're just like, no. Um, my accountant's like, a lot of companies know that you are afraid to look at the damage. You are afraid, you know, you go to dinner, you ball out with your friends. You, if you don't look at the bill, you just don't know what could happen. So every month, comb over your bank statement. Just get into the habit of looking at your finances. Do not be in a space of guilt. Look at the check when it comes. Look at the bill when you check out. And you don't have, some people, they don't do it because emotionally it's like, I'm balling, I don't need to see whatever it is, I got it. But people know that too. Look at your finances. Um, so uh, where I am now with my money, uh, I have been making money as an entrepreneur for about seven years now. Um, I didn't start off making a ton, but I was making enough to take care of myself. So maybe like when I first started off as an entrepreneur, maybe I probably started around like 30, 40, got up to like 50, 60. I was happy. Um, I had already sorted my money issues. Uh, and while I didn't have all my ish together, I was out of the cycle of emotional spending. You know, um, five years ago, my income began to increase significantly. Um, and my first plan of attack was to get rid of the critical debt is what I like to call it. I owed the IRS. Um, I was behind on my student loan. So just the thing that I wanted to do was make sure that I cleaned up as much as I possibly could. Um, and then I went through my trick off year also. So I said, sometimes that happens and I still have the proof of some of it, you know, Louboutin heels. I think I have a, um, custom Louis Vuitton bag, a bunch of trips, 
so expensive as Miami and just buying excessive things for people and friends. And that's when my accountant came and sat down with me and gave me the if you can't buy two rule. If you can't buy two, you can't afford it. Um, and I just started applying that to all of the sort of like um, day to day crap that we buy. If I can't get two purses, then I don't need one. You know, I don't need to just be buying things and just letting my account go. So um, I started an investment account. I bought a house. I save aggressively. I live within my means and I only buy things that I just really enjoy. Um, I stopped giving my money away uh, boundaries. Um, I'm not obligated to take care of it, take care of anyone. Anything that I do is just a nicety. You know, I have absolved myself from like giving so much. You know, I I was that person where I think I've talked about this with friends. Like I go to dinner with people and I would always feel like there was a spotlight on me, right? And that's personal. It's like, I would always, like, I sit down and I would feel obligated to pay for the entire table's dinner because I could afford to, um, you know. And I've done that with, like, tables of 13. I've done it with tables of 8, tables of 4. Check comes. Oh, I got it. And I just have absolved myself from that. I don't have to do that, Right. I can do it if I want to, but I could also be like, um, y'all want to split it? You know, like I can still split checks with people. Like I don't have just because I feel like I can't afford something doesn't mean that I have to do that. And so I've just gotten better about that. Um, it's been a long road for me of understanding that I truly earned my position in life and so I think that I over uh, in the past I would discount the amount of sacrifice that I made you know it's like I told y'all I was getting up at like 4 a.m four years um the sacrifice that I made of of taking very low pay in the beginning of my career because I just wanted to learn you know I had two jobs um I had two jobs um in my 20s um, because I needed to be able to afford my living situation. So I was my apartment building manager and I had a full-time job in PR. Um, you know, there are a lot of sacrifices that I made and a lot of books. Like, I think if you guys follow me, you know that I've been sort of studying for years and it's just been this long path of understanding that, I did sacrifice and I did work and it wasn't just, you know, there is some level of luck involved, you know, the opportunity presented itself, but I was prepared. Um, and I don't have to feel guilty about that. And I don't have to feel like I have to give that all away. And so, um, I would say that, you know, in the two decades of like, of being an earning human being, that money is a tool for me to provide, you know, freedom, uh, peace of mind, but it doesn't rule me. Uh, I could make more money. I don't think, I mean, some people may know that or not know that, but it's like, I have, I have plenty of friends who, who make way more money than I do, but they are, there's a different life sacrifice that they have. And it's just like, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't have to have all of it. I don't need every drop from every corner. Um, I turn down money like I have turned down money for speaking because 
I feel like, you know, my value is not, I can't even say, I can't even say that I, I'm worth uh, 10K for speaking because I don't feel like I haven't worked on it enough to have that value. So I'm working uh, on just being better in the space that I know that I have value. Uh, so I turn down money. Um, it doesn't rule me. Uh, I save because I don't want to feel like I have to do things. I save because in the event that, you know, some, something in life happens and I can no longer earn money the way that I do now, uh, that I can pivot, um, that I don't have to panic. Uh, I have savings. Um, I am preparing for my future in the event that I just get tired and I don't want to do it anymore. Um, I'm saving to, to have that option as well to say, I no longer want to do this. You know, sometimes we do stuff and it's like, I have no choice. I have no other way to eat. Um, so that's just sort of where I am is just preparing for my future, saving, not letting things rule or control me. Uh, and I think that that is all helpful when it comes to negotiating. So, uh, thank you as always for listening. Uh, you can find me all over the internet, myleek.com, at myleek on Insta, at myleek on Twitter, at myleek on Snapchat. Um, and uh, my day job is curlbox.com, monthly subscription service for hair care products for women with naturally curly hair. Super exclusive, super exclusive, so exclusive you can only become a member uh, one day per month. So if you want to become a member or if you're interested, you can sign up at curlbox.com. Thank you as always for listening. Ciao, y'all.